See, Paul's uh, writing uh, is not just a person's uh, personal opinion. And it is not kind of wisdom that uh, you get from self-help books. Uh, even though it is on bestseller list, after two, three years, uh, it disappears. I mean, they seem to say that this is how you should live. So when you uh, look at a lot of good self-help books, they tell you this is how you should live. But after a while, they all disappear. But Paul's words for 2,000 years, it has been uh, proven. Uh, and it has helped many Christians, many people, and this is how you should live. This is what life is all about. This is what meaningful existence is all about. Everybody can live as long as they have breath, but not everyone lives equally. Not everyone lives uh, fulfillingly. So everyone's life is different. So Paul shows us uh, how we should live in fulfillment. How it's a short life we live here, but how we can live uh, to the maximum. And then when you die, how can we have the eternal life? The eternal life begins not when you die. Eternal life begins right here where you are. So Paul's words are very, uh, it's not really theoretical in a way, but theoretical plus experiential. And it's very spirit-filled wisdom. And many people use that to apply to their lives and their life has been transformed. So it's very, very important that we understand the basic concept of what Paul is trying to say. Is it kind of a little too hard today? No, you're okay? Uh, yeah. I feel you may, you may talk about it. Anyway, so uh, we are going to uh, read uh, today uh, 7 and 8. So, 7 and 8, why don't you uh, read it? Reading. Make a little better sense now or... Or still coded word. Uh, it is very important that you uh, don't give emphasis to everything. Uh, you have to find uh, flow. To find the flow, there are some words, <laughs> concepts, and phrases that stand out. And all other uh, things are explanatory to that sentence that stands out. And we have to find what those sentences are, what those phrases are. If you don't find that, then you don't find the flow. So you, you have to really zero in what Paul is trying to do uh, in this uh, 
passage, chapter 7 and 8. So we're going to look at uh, uh, my version uh, now. We are no longer bound by the law, the old written code. We have the Spirit who guides us, and that is the new life we live now. Then two questions arise. The first question, is the law sin? The second question, did the law bring death? Let me deal with these questions. First of all, the law is not sin. The law and sin are two different things. The law makes us aware of sin, but the law does not make us sin. But sin, using the law, deceived me and killed me. The second question is already answered. The law does not kill us. It is sin that kills us using the law. The law is good, but when it is, com when it is combined with the sin, it becomes sin's deadly weapon. The law is good, and I know it is good, but somehow I am totally incapable of fulfilling, of fulfilling it. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Sin, knowing that about me, accused me and drove me drove me into death. Who rescued me from this body of death? I have been delivered from this body of death through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was God who worked out his loving desire to save me through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's chapter 7. Basic kind of idea uh, uh, is in there. Chapter 8. Now in Christ, we have no condemnation. God set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ took us away from the grip of sin's power. If Jesus Christ lived and died sinlessly, then he would have remained as a perfect man. But that would have had nothing to do with me. But Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself and died for our sins, even though he was innocent. That Jesus is innocent and blameless is not as important as that Jesus loves us. It is the same as saying that God is blameless is not as important as that God loves us. We are not sinners who have to, be, who have to pay for our sins, but debtors who live with deep appreciation of God's love shown through Jesus Christ. God is the only one who can convict us of our sins. Now God says we are okay and God is for us. Then who can be against us? When God let us go free, who can bring charges against God's chosen ones? It is God who justifies us and then who can condemn us? Nothing will be able to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We are still going through suffering because of our sins. As a matter of fact, the whole creation is groaning in pain. But our suffering and our pain will give birth to new, new life because the Spirit is working in us and in this world. We have hope, but our hope is not for what we see, but for what we cannot see. That we wait with patience because we have hope, and this hope is given by the Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sigh too deep for words. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, or call according to His purpose. That's chapter 8. Now, it has to be very, very clear to you what Paul is trying to say. And after it is clear, you have to truly believe that and let it ingrained in you. And that's what Christian life is all about. So I'm going to explain as clearly as possible. So last week, we studied when, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. It's like ink drop in a cup of water, and then it, the water becomes dark. But when the grace came, the abundant grace came, it became like ink drop in the ocean. One drop of ink cannot darken the ocean. So grace is that much bigger. Uh, it is abundant. It's so abundant, it swallows up the effect of sin. And that is the power of grace. It's not just about how we think. Faith is not just about how we think. Faith is total trust in God. And through that faith, when there's a total trust in God, God's grace is released, and that grace is so powerful. How? I don't know. Uh, that's, what, that's why it is not scientific uh, theory. Paul is not giving scientific theory. But somehow when we have total trust in God, then God's grace is released. And that grace is so abundant that it transforms us and it delivers us from the power of sin. Then life under the law and life under the grace of God are so different. These two are very, very different. A lot of times we are familiar with life under the law. Uh, that's how we live. That's how many people live. Even though they, after they become Christian, they still live under the law. Using Christian lingos. 
but they still live under the law. Then, let us look at what is life under the law. I mean, Paul is describing now dynamics between grace and law, Jesus Christ, and all that in today's uh, topic, uh, the, the, today's chapters. In chapter 7 and 8, he really uh, nails down uh, what law does and what sin does and uh, what God does. And then first time he introduces the concept of the spirit. I think in Paul's mind, that is underneath from the beginning. <laughs> but only now he introduces the uh, uh, idea of the spirit. And it more than 20 times he talks about uh, the spirit. So, life under the law and life under the grace is all right. Life under the grace is almost like life under the spirit. Okay. So then, what does law do? What does law do? Why is Paul so against law? Somehow, he sounds like he seems to be very against law. What does law do? Makes you aware of sin? Yeah. Law makes you aware of sin. If you don't know the law, you don't know that you broke the law. Right? So, law makes you, reminds you makes you aware of sin. Without law, you won't even know that you are not perfect. Uh, so law makes you see that you are not perfect. Without the law, you won't even know how weak you are and how far away you are from being righteous. Because there's law, now you know how broken you are, how weak you are. And law, right to your face, tells you that this is who you are. This is what's going on. Okay? Follow me? Don't fall asleep. <laughs> That's why I'm saying that lower down the temperature. Okay? I see your eyes going. Uh, you know? yeah. I mean, good food is good, but it makes you fall asleep. Food is not good, right? That's Paul's logic, right? Now. Okay. We understand our condition and our predicament. And Paul describes his condition, he sees very clearly. Uh, 7, 14 to 24. Okay, 7, 14 to 24. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. You got it? How he understands uh, his predicament. His predicament. When we truly honest about ourselves, we should be able to confess what St. Paul confessed. All of us. If we are truly honest about ourselves, we will confess what St. Paul confessed. But we human beings are not that honest. How can I tell? I can tell from the way they say from the way the judge, from the, the way you know, they behave. I can tell that they don't recognize that within them. It takes courage, to be honest. It takes courage. Only very strong people can be really honest about themselves. If we are truly honest, then through the law, we should be able to see ourselves clearly. <laughs> so St. Paul said in response to a question, is the law sin? If we, he said, if, we, if it had not been the law, I would not have known sin. So through the law, he could have known he could have come to the knowledge of sin. Then, if we come to the knowledge of our sin, as Paul said, I don't understand myself. I should do the good, but I'm doing the opposite of the good, the evil that I don't want to do, that I keep doing. If we are truly honest, then we would have make that confession. In other words, we would have recognized our brokenness. In that sense, law is good and spiritual. It makes us see who we are and turn to God. It makes us see who we are and turn to God. Because we see no hope in us. We see we are helpless. That's why we turn to God. <coughs> Saint Augustine said, the law was given that grace might be sought. I just said very, very insightful thing when your face is just 
<laughs> Same thing here. I mean, I just talk really nailed down the function of the law and the purpose of the law. <laughs> I mean, last time you did that too. For example, when I when I said, you know, Abraham is father of many nations. You're such a insight for Paul. Wow. I mean, oh, Abraham is a father of Jewish people. How come he's a father of many nations? And I said it with such an excitement. <laughs> <laughs> So what does law do? Huh? That's right. It not only makes us aware of our sin, but it makes us turn to God. Because we have no hope, you turn to God. You wait for grace. You look for grace. You search for grace. That's what... When you see law very well, then that's what should be happening. That's why I say, and Augustine said, law was given that grace might be sought from the first place. That's why law was given, so that we see our own brokenness and turn to God. But when the good law was combined with the sin, within us, the law became very, very dangerous. Law became all of a sudden very dangerous. It became a lethal weapon of sin rather than doing good to us. And then in what way law became dangerous? Law uh, that makes us uh, know we are broken. How come that became such a lethal weapon and so dangerous? Because law somehow combined with sin instead of making us aware of our brokenness and turning to God, something else law did. When it's combined with sin. And three things I saw. One, fear. Two, false pride. Three, guilt. These three things somehow loaded when it is combined with sin. Fear is fear of punishment. Yeah. No, or rather than the law doing it, wasn't, isn't Paul saying that it was sin that used the law to do these three things? Exactly. So, love came and we are supposed to see our brokenness and turn to God. Sin within me somehow played strange game and the law starts doing all these things. 
right? So it's, it's a sin ultimately, uh, it does, but somehow the uh, law does these things. And then fear is a fear of punishment. When the law comes, fear of punishment. And it paralyzes us, it makes our lives miserable. We always live with fear of punishment. Oh, if I do this, God is going to get me. Yeah. It's, a, it's a kind of a light example about one day uh, Peter missed the church and then uh, went for golfing. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I don't know, you know Jesus, my memory just going I can't remember what happened. <laughs> Something bad happened to him. And then Hannah came to me. See, when you don't go to church, that's what happens. <laughs> when you miss the church and then go to golf, go golf it, that's what happens. I mean, that explains uh, our uh, situation. No, we have fear of punishment. Or oh, if I don't really shape up, Sometimes, uh, someday, God will really strike us. Uh, and even Christians will live with this fear of punishment. And living with fear is very difficult. It, it's not free life. You always live with dark clouds above you. Oh, so far, I'm okay. But I don't know how long this will last. One day, God will uh, strike me again. You know, I, I gave you a, 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 a many times this example that I went to LA and this woman who lives really, really well. You know, uh, security guard, private security guard, and nice house, and million dollars house, and then uh, children go to Ivy schools and all that. And then uh, she came to me and then uh, uh, she said, Oksanin, I worry a lot. Why are you worrying? Your husband is doing well, you have big house, your children are doing Yeah, that's why I worry. You know, someday this might be gone. So she lives with this fear that I'm not worthy enough. So someday God may just take us all, take all this happiness away from me. That's fear of punishment. So I want you to discuss these three things, how they play, uh, how, what love does to you, or love combined with sin does to you in your, in people's lives. Discuss. Discuss. <laughs> I mean, I'll, we'll have a group discussion uh, instead of just moving on uh, from what you discussed. So these three things uh, from uh, you, what you discussed, uh, anything that uh, you want to share with the whole group? Do you understand how law can cause fear? Fear of punishment? Is a is a big part of uh, our spiritual problem, uh, fear of punishment. Uh, that, uh, a lot of 
fear-based religion uh, becomes a problem in that way. Uh, they, they are bound more uh, because of the religion. So, so any insight on that? But even f from when you're young, well, we grew up with this fear. You know, uh, you better be, you better watch out. You better. You better watch out. Right? So fear, you know, taking away the gift is the greatest fear of punishment. Right? Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the easiest way to control human behaviors. Maybe most primitive way to control human behavior, but does that really change uh, us in some ways? And then, and it uh, drives us into deeper darkness. And then uh, we have more fear. Rather than really enjoying God, God is always uh, uh, in Korean, Budam burdensome, you know? Oh, it's good, but still, I don't want to be that close no. <laughs> to no. God, you know? <laughs> kind of uh, feelings and fear uh, is there, uh, okay? How about false pride? Do you see what law can do with false pride? In, huh? It makes us like a Pharisees. Uh, why? Because uh, I've done this. I'm doing more than you. I'm keeping the law a little bit more than you. So I'm better than you. Yeah, I'm better than you. So they create uh, elitism in a way. You know, I'm more religious. You don't need to even pray. You know, before you eat. How can you just eat? Savage. <laughs> 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 you know, that kind of uh, elitism. Uh, you know, religiously, I'm better than you. you know? Every day I pray. What do you do? You just, you know, uh, yeah, come to church and then go home. And why do you come to church? You know, kind of, uh, it's, it's a, uh, we create uh, religious elitism, moral elitism, ethnic elitism. You know, we Jewish people uh, are chosen ones and better than others, that kind of. And then some Koreans have this strange Korean nationalism or uh, elitism in that. So they even uh, say that chosen, we are the chosen race in the first Peter. Uh, say, we are the chosen race and then chosen, chosen race. <laughs> Joseon race. <laughs> kind of very strange um, uh, ethnic uh, elitism. Uh, and then uh, uh, we have become polite and live with judgmental attitude towards others that I'm a little bit better. But we uh, already proved that, you know, Simon and I. Uh, down here, he's a little taller <laughs> than me. But when we are looked by somebody from the CN Tower at the top, they're just ducks. <laughs> 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 so, 
You're just looking. My husband is still better. <laughs> So, I mean, strange elitism, comparing with others, a little bit better, and, but we kind of blow it up, and we are much, much better. Uh, and then we are blinded to our own weaknesses, we are blinded to our own uh, darkness and sinfulness. We hide it very, very well, so that we don't even see it. You know, we do it so well that we don't even know that we have it. Uh, and that's how Paul lived. He didn't even know that he was a sinner. He, he hid it so well. That kind of false pride, still Christians live with this false pride. A lot of them. Uh, and then uh, they become, uh, they experience something, a uh, spiritual thing, and then all of a sudden, but the spiritual thing is beautiful, isn't it? But all of a sudden, their, their ego got so high that they started, you know, oh, you, Oh, you never experienced that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I was just saying me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we uh, walk around and then, uh, you know, we uh, when I first became a Christian, I walked around with a Bible in my hand. <laughs> 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 you know, yeah, uh, in my town and uh, to my friends, I wanted to show up. Now I go to church. <laughs> I don't drink this book. <laughs> I kind of it. And guilt. Guilt is a uh, false pride is a problem, but the opposite of the false pride is also a problem. Low self-esteem. But did you realize that that self or false pride and guilt are the same thing? From the same source? You try to deal with this in a different way. We degrade ourselves. We see ourselves ugly. I've seen many people living with this guilt. The guilt really eats up their lives. I mean, you know, the other day, a, a little kid, three-year-old, uh, he was frozen, frozen to death. And I, uh, we were at the staff meeting, we were talking about how his grandma it's gonna live with for the rest of her life because uh, he was with the grandma, uh, and then he just went out uh, and then frozen to death. And then how, uh, you know, how she can live, uh, you know, uh, with that guilt uh, all her life. So I mean, we have this guilt uh, within us, something that we did in the past, uh, terrible and horrible things that uh, we did in the past, and we live. Uh, with that guilt, and it binds us and makes us bondage to our own guilt. And then we are too harsh to ourselves. And the funny thing is, we don't even know that guilt does that. Only much, much later, when you look back, I have lived with guilt all this life. It tormented me, and I didn't know. And I didn't know uh, how it uh, affected me. I mean, this kind of worthlessness. I mean, guilt is not really brokenness. Brokenness is turning to God, but guilt is you just remain uh, where you are. You're just punishing yourself uh, continuously. 
Law is supposed to be good, but when it's combined with sin, it creates this kind of horrible things in life. And the problem is not the law. The problem is sin. Money is not the problem. Money can do so many good things, but the greed of the people creates all kinds of problems because of money. St. Paul, Paul, after describing his prison, not important things, what's the answer? What's the answer here? After describing his predicament, uh, after he said this, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he said, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then begins chapter 8 with these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a goodness! Chapter 8 begins with a really big, loud declaration and statement. Therefore, he always, so when he makes a conclusion, he says, therefore, and therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is this. You know, I struggled quite a bit reading this chapter eight, 7 and 8, and I understand everything uh, it says, but what is connected? How? How is possible? And then, this is what I discovered. Sin came alive in the law, but somehow, sin lost its power in Jesus Christ. Sin came alive in the law, but sin lost its power in Jesus Christ. Sin could create fear with the law, but with the grace of God, sin could not create fear. And then, why? Why? And then, this passage came to me. Love casts out fear, Jesus said. Love casts out fear. In the law, there is no love. So sin could come alive. But when sin meets love, love casts out fear. Sin could not bring about death. The good example is Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died with our sins, but God raised him with God's love. Even our sins could not leave Jesus in death. I don't know. 
covenant. If he came alive, in spite of our sins, he came alive. That's where our sins are resolved. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Jesus came alive because he was sinless, then we have no hope. Nobody sins. But Jesus died with our sins and he came alive. That means our sins are dealt with. Uh-huh. Could have happened. That response has to come out. You know, that response has to come out. You, you don't say... Amen. I mean, that's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Even our sins could not leave Jesus in death. When God's love came down, that sin was cast out and fear cast out, and Jesus came alive. So to Paul, Jesus' death and resurrection is not just physically dead, dying. Uh, that's not what uh, Paul uh, uh, is saying. Paul sees the whole thing about uh, whole theological. Yes. Well, if that's true, then how come we don't come alive after we die? We'll come alive. That's why we have hope for resurrection. Is a first fruit. And first fruit, and that's why we have a hope for resurrection. Not right now, but Jesus showed that, and then now in the future, uh, it will have, that will become uh, the reality for all of us. So it's, it's not just a phenomena that happened to Jesus, and that's a phenomena to happen, will happen all of us. And, and also, that particular uh, thing is. Physical, but even now, we Christians, we die, we rise. Uh, we are crushed to death, uh, not physically, but hopeless and in despair, but we'll come out, come alive, even now. That is also part of the resurrection. Same thing, over and over again. That's what Paul said, I am hard-pressed in every direction. I am crushed, but not destroyed. You know, he I can never memorize that. I, it's my favorite passage, but I can never memorize it. It's me, I am. And God, he, and Paul realized that God forgave our sins and lifted Jesus from the dead. So it is not statement, it's not the statement about Jesus. It is statement about our sins. Jesus' death and resurrection is not a statement about Jesus. It's a statement about our sin. <sighs> That's correct. Ah, oh, now it's connected. Now I see why Jesus' death and resurrection is important. Why? Paul keeps talking about Jesus' death and resurrection. What's that got to do with me? 
covenant, that's what Paul discovered. And then, now the Spirit is working with us. It is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Let us uh, read Romans 8.11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Uh, Misson's question is answered right here. Now we are not on our own. For those who have faith in God, God gave the spirit and spirit is within us. The spirit is not a spirit of slavery that does all these things. So you have to discern the spirit. Don't trust every spirit. You have to discern the spirit, whether that is a Holy Spirit or not, whether that is a spirit of Jesus Christ or not, whether that is a spirit from God or not. Because spirit, that Paul says, this spirit is not a spirit of slavery. The spirit does not make us fall back into fear. That is not a kind of spirit that God gave to us. Let us read 8.15. 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is not the kind of spirit we received. Very different from the law and very different from the uh, 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 spirit some uh, churches and uh, really uh, promote. The spirit is given to us not to take us back into the slavery of fear, false pride, and guilt. If you, you, if you say that, oh, I'm full of spirit and then you fall into fear, false pride, and guilt. I don't know what spirit that is. Your own spirit, maybe. But it's not spirit of Christ. It is not spirit of God. So we have to discern the spirit. But to deliver us from the bondage and our weaknesses. Let us read 826. 826. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. See, here, the Spirit does not condemn us because of your weaknesses. Okay? That is not the kind of Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Not condemn you seeing your weakness, but helps you in your weakness. So sin cannot use the spirit to condemn us to death. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sin could use law to condemn us because we have weakness. Weakness meaning not just physical weakness, but sinfulness. Sin could use the law to do that, to condemn us, but sin cannot use the spirit to condemn us because spirit helps us in our weakness. 
Hallelujah. Yes. I mean, such a positive message, uh, St. Paul. Right? The Spirit is the one who confirms God's love for us. And then Paul talks about God's verdict very powerfully. I mean, this is such a powerful statement. 831. He says, if God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? And then verse 32, he said, He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Wow. And then 33, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then 34, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? My goodness. Paul is saying, you're free. God said you're free. Who is to condemn you? Who is to blame you? Who is to uh, bring charge against you? You are free. You are free from all these things. You know? Completely. And then, Paul talks about it is because of God's love. And then verse 38. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Wow. How can he come up with this kind of statement? Wow. You know, he's a genius. I mean, he's spirit, okay? Oh, these beautiful words. Paul discovered this power of love. So that Jesus. That Jesus is innocent is not as important as that Jesus loves us. That God is righteous and blameless is not as important as God loves us. I mean, God could show his righteousness. You committed sins, I destroy you. I punish you, and he could, he could wipe up. The whole world, see, I, I have all the right to, to do it. I'm righteous. He could say that. But Paul found another righteousness. That is, God took all the pains of people's sin upon himself and went through the pain. That is higher righteousness of God. We are... Good as saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Oh, he's wrong. She is wrong. We can say all night. At the end, all you do is self-justification. Is that righteousness? The fact that you love even the sinners. You love even the unlovable. Accept the even the unacceptable. That is righteousness. 
And that is kind of righteousness, that's the righteousness that Paul discovered in Jesus Christ. God loves us enough to take the pain of our sins upon himself, and Jesus Christ showed that as God and as a human being. Jesus Christ showed what kind of God we believe in. What kind of God we trust in? How many times we fall into wrong image of God? Wrong idols of God? How many times we don't really understand this kind of God's love? God's power is in God's love. Not anywhere else. God's power is in God's love. That's why God's power can cast out fear and bring about the true salvation. And because we believe in God who loves us, we know that all things will work out for good. Because we believe in God who loves us, we know that all things will work out for good. Even though right now we see suffering, even that suffering will be a labor pain that gives birth to new life. That's what Paul is saying. Chapter 8 is such a beautiful chapter. I hope that everybody goes to if I could. Memorize from the beginning to the end, chapter 8, just over and over again. Such a powerful message, such a hopeful message, such a positive message. And I hope that we hold on to that message and live out our lives, not with these kind of things, not with these kind of things, but with love, with hope, with patience. goodness of Jesus Christ and goodness that Paul have come to understand and the goodness that is delivered tonight. Lord, help us to live with goodness deeply ingrained in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.